a celebration, but I pray that it wouldn't just be a season. I was convicted even this morning in my own heart that, um, that we celebrate Christmas and we put a lot of pressure. I put a lot of pressure on my own heart to somehow um, use this time. And yeah, it is a time to reflect on a God who makes and fulfills promises and on, a, and on a God who's willing to come here and live among us to die a death that we deserve, that we might live the, the, the eternal life of glory we don't. But it's just part of the story. It's a big part of the story. It's a beautiful part of the story. But it's just part of the story, and that story continues. So it remind us today that just, just like Joseph last week, just like Mary this week, we are a people of the story. And you're a great author. So write on our hearts today. For your glory alone, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. Please have a seat. Grab your Bibles and find Luke chapter 1, if you would. While you're doing that, I'm going to ask our first question, which is, um, how has the wonder of God changed you? So how has the wonder of God changed you? I'm asking as you look for Luke chapter 1. What are some ways that the wonder of God has made a difference in your life, in your heart, um, maybe today already, maybe um, in your family? What are some ways that the wonder of God changes us? gives us hope. Guys, you think about in a world, think about in a world that is, um, you know, we have up there that during the prayer time, this idea that, um, that his presence pierces the darkness. Like this world is a world that is without hope. And interestingly enough, like even as we drive around our neighborhoods and we look at Christmas lights like we did um, a couple nights ago as a family, um, it, all of that is, is a part, is a, is a glimpse of of, what, it, of all, what all of Christmas is really supposed to be about. And so the world puts lights on their homes and they're still filled with darkness, like a darkness that can be felt. And I'm not judging them. Like my, our hearts should break for them because they are without hope in the world, is how Paul said it. So, that's, so, so, so the wonder of God gives us hope. What else? redirects our purpose and our perspective. That when we see God for who he is, it's why we spend a majority of our time here at Cross Train talking about who God is and what he's done. Not talking about what he can do for us. We do talk about that because it is important to, our faith is an applicable faith. right? But, but really it all has to begin and end with who God is and what he's done, because it changes our perspective. I've mentioned this several times over the last few weeks that, um, that Paul Tripp wrote a book called Awe, and he talks about, he goes through this, about all these different kinds of sins, like the sin of pornography, the sin of alcohol or substance abuse, um, the sin of selfishness, this, all these different areas of our lives that we struggle in, but he, but he puts it all through the lens of we don't have, those are just symptoms of the problem. The problem is we have an awe problem. We have lost the awe of God. And I love how during our prayer time, Kylie let us, even in that, just let, let us get our awe back. Anyone else? How has the wonder of God changed us? More thankful. More thankful. Yeah, when you start to realize in light of who he is, and then, oh, by the way, also in light of who we are, apart from him, like our, we are way more, I mean, that, that he would care for us at all, let alone enough to come here. 
and live, the, live a life that, that we could not live to die the death that we deserve so that we could live eternally with Him. Like, like that ought to make us incredibly thankful, incredibly awestruck, and incredibly like wonder-filled. And so we're in this series, in this um, Advent season that we started a few weeks ago, actually, around Thanksgiving, talking about how, are we missing the wonder? Like in the craziness of all of this that's going on, and I still got to get my Christmas decorations done, or, my, or my, my gifts bought and then wrapped, and everything else, and do I have everything covered? Like, do we, in the midst of all of that, have we lost sight of the point of it? Right? Are we so tired and exhausted by the time we even just, just let's just step away from even celebrating Jesus on Christmas Eve, right here, 3:30, right? So, but but let's step away from that for a minute. By the time we get to Christmas Eve, if you're a Christmas Eve opening family or your Christmas morning opening family for gifts, are you so tired and exhausted by the time you get to that place that you don't even have the joy in the moment of giving the gifts? Like, I feel like there's so much of even that going around because, well, you know, they're probably not going to like it as much as I thought they, or as I wanted them to, or it's not, I couldn't really find the thing that I was looking for, or all the things that, that, that where our joy is just being robbed because we're looking at stuff. We're looking at stuff. I could probably just put a period on the end of that sentence. We're looking, literally looking at stuff. Right? So what we've been talking about in this idea of, of, the, of are we missing the wonder is how do we get that wonder back? And one of the ways we um, thought would be a good way to do that would be to look at the wonder of God through the eyes of different characters in the Bible, different people in the Bible. We started with Jesus and how he is the light and the beginning and the end, and he was the word that spoke creation into existence, and also the word that became flesh and made his dwelling among us in John 1.14. And then we looked at um, Simeon and Anna and how they just had, uh, they were just ready. They were looking for the consolation of the salvation of Israel, and they were looking for his coming, so they saw him when they brought him into the temple as an infant. And then we looked at last week at Joseph and how this remarkable man was willing to just um, live for something bigger than his own plans for his life. And today we're going to look at the wonder of God through the eyes of Mary and how, Mar how God was with Mary in a way that was unlike any other human that has ever lived. But guys, get this. This idea of Emmanuel, God with us, is the story of Scripture. It's not just the story of Christmas. It's not just the story of Jesus living here on earth for 33 years. God with us is the story of Genesis 1 and 2. God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. God with us is the tabernacle story in the wilderness. God was with his people in the tabernacle in the wilderness. God with us is the story of the kingdom. When David establishes the kingdom of God in Israel, and then he gives to his son Solomon the charge to build the temple, God with us, the glory of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. That was God with them. And we saw a few weeks ago about how through our rebellion, their rebellion for about 400 years, God then ends up leaving the, the, the temple. He, his presence leaves the earth, and the temple is destroyed. And for 400 years, there is silence. Because God is no longer with us at that point. Except that in the promise that we celebrate at Christmas, the incarnation that we're going to look at this morning, he is with us again in the person of Jesus Christ. But that's not the end of the story. It doesn't end with the crucifixion even of the story. How does the story continue God with us? Well, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, and he's no longer just with us, but he is, let this blow your mind, in us. It's now God in us that is the story of Scripture. And then He is in us in Ephesians chapter 2 and in Ephesians chapter 4 in the church. 
Guys, when we gather together, this is a supernatural thing. It's why my soul, your soul, our souls need this. It's why we want to invite people into these moments. Because we, all by ourselves, or even we as a family or as a couple, we cannot be this. Because this is God with us. Having a brother or sister reach out and touch you and pray over you. That is a God with us moment. And then here's the greatest part. At the end of the story, God with us will be everywhere in every part of creation. That's what Revelation 21 and 22 says. That from that, he is going to indwell every part of us. Because this is a kingdom story about kingdom conflict. And we're going to see that even today. But there is something remarkable about Mary. So we're going to look at this idea, the wonder, um, the, just looking at the wonder of God through the eyes of Mary. And, and before I do that, I, I want to, uh, here's a quote that I read from um, one of the professors at the seminary that I graduated from. It says this, Protestants can get a bit, in, a bit of indigestion thinking about Mary. We don't mind her in our nativity scenes or the lyrics of our Christmas carols. But we want to avoid any idea there was something special about her. These cautions are valid. But if some traditions say more about Mary than is warranted by Scripture, surely the right response to that mistake is not to say less than the Bible has to say about the significance of her life. Now, I want, to, I want you to understand this right up front. Mary was a sinner whose son came to save her. Get that. Mary was a sinner, just like the rest of us, whose son came to save her, just like the rest of us. Now let that melt your brain a little bit. But guys, she was a remarkable young woman. A remarkable young woman. So what we're going to look at today through the, the question that this remarkable teenager is going to show us is, what does the wonder of God lead us into? So let's, we're going to look at her life and we're going to see that this young teenage girl who's, who's, who's visited by an angel tells, shows us what it looks like to see the sovereignty of God, what it looks like to live in the surrender of his plan for your life, and then what it looks like to sing a, like a soul-singing song. And so we're going to quickly go through these three points. So let's look at it. The first thing is, how, like, how does, um, what is the wonder of God? How do we see the wonder of God? By seeing his sovereignty. So, so we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 1 and starting in verse 26. And so the wonder of God is going to lead us into the sovereignty of God. God leaves nothing to chance, people. That's what the word sovereignty really, that's one of the, the applications of the word sovereignty. And in verse 26, it says this, In the sixth month of the, the angel Gabriel, who was sent, to God, was sent from God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth. Now, Gabriel is one of the two named angels, well, actually three named angels in the Bible. There's Gabriel, who is known as the messenger. There's Michael, the other, the, another archangel, who's known as the warrior. And then there, there was Lucifer, who fell and became Satan. Those are the only three angels that are named in Scripture. So so Gabriel's a pretty important angel. There seems to be, there maybe there's some hierarchy there, but he's one of the biggies. He comes to Nazareth. We talked last week about Nazareth because of Joseph. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. So is, is what Nathaniel said or, or um, Philip said. And so, and, and or no, it was Nathaniel who said that when, when Jesus walks up. So in God's, just in God's sovereign plan, of course, he chooses Nazareth to have his, the Savior be born or be, come from, not be born in, but come from, because it's his way of sort of demonstrating even in the places that make no sense to the world this is where I'm going to show up most 
So he sends him from Nazareth. Now, now into a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, a virgin, and the virgin's name was Mary. We talked a lot about like the, the, their marital situation uh, last week when we looked at Joseph, so I'm not going to belabor it today, other than to say in the Jewish culture, girls got married young. So Mary is in her probably mid-teens let that sink in for a little bit. As we talk about like just th- this, like the story we're going to look at here in a minute, what's going to happen to this young teen mom, think about that for a minute. She shows a, she shows a remarkable faith for any person. She would show them a remarkable faith for the pastor or the priest of the age. And she's just a teenage girl. Young people in the room. Guys, do not let your youth be an excuse for immaturity. Old people in the room. Show your maturity. We need to show our maturity. But, but we, have this, we, have, we have this idea in our culture now, like adolescence has moved from, like has gone to like from 13 to 30 something. Well, this 13, potentially 13, 14, 15 year old girl is the mother of the Messiah. Like, like we, we have, anyway, I right, get off. Right, I'm going to get back to my notes. What do we know about Mary? She was from the, the tribe of Judah, just like her husband was, which means that she was in the line of David, just like her husband was, which was all very intentionally planned out by God. She was not just chosen randomly or because there was something super special about her, even though she was obviously a young lady of remarkable faith. It was also because it, helped, it fulfilled the promises of God. It, it, is, it is how we can trust him. So if God is so able to orchestrate the events of these humans then, Joseph, Mary, Simeon, Anna, fill in the blanks, then can we trust him to orchestrate our experiences today? And the answer is yes, we can. We often don't, but we can. He is a God who is in control. He leaves nothing to chance, even where his son is going to be born and to whom they're going to be born to. So look at verse 28. And he came to her and he says, so here's the angel. He shows up and he says, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at that saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I, would, I can imagine. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, just like he said to to Joseph in the dream, for you have found favor with God. Now the word there, guys, for, the, for in verse 28 where he says, oh, oh, favored one, and then in the same thing in verse 30, you have been, you found favor with God. That word favored there is actually the word charis, which in the, in, in the Greek, or it's a form of the word charis. What does the word charis translate into? Charis? Grace. He's saying, oh, you who've been graced of God. You greatly graced because of what's going to happen. Now understand this. Flash forward past Jesus' life, past his death, past his resurrection, past his ascension, to the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Guys, if you are a redeemed son or, or, um, son or daughter of the living God, guess what you've been? Graced of God. Like, do you see yourself that way? Do you see yourself? Do you see, like, do you look and go, oh, like, do you hear God saying to you, oh, highly favored one? Because if you're saved, you are. Right? Ephesians chapter 1 says it this way Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in 
Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons or sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, who is Christ. Guys, he, that, that, verse is, that, that passage is saying God leaves nothing to chance, not for Joseph, not for Mary, and not for you and I. If you are in Christ, it's because it's part of God's plan. So he, whatever, and what he began in you, he will complete in you. And guys, we want to cling to that. We have to cling to that, because otherwise we can't cling to this promise. Because when Paul makes that same point that he makes in Ephesians, in Romans chapter 8, he finishes the thought with this. What shall we say about such wonderful things as the gospel? If God is for us, who can be against us? He's like, guys, if you want to hold on to that, I am God's, he is mine, I'm on his team. If you want to, then, then you have to believe that he is in control and his plan is good and glorious. That's, what's, that's what Mary is going to cling to. And since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give us all things? So let's keep going and look at so. So that's the message Mary's getting. You graced of God in a, in a whole new way. Now look at verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And we've talked about that a few times. Jesus is simply the um, transliteration of the, the um, Old Testament Hebrew name of Joshua. It means Yahweh saved or God is our salvation. And so it's, it's fitting that that would be the name that would be given. And we talked about that in great detail last week. Look at verse 32. And he will be great because Gabriel's like on a roll. He's like, I, mean, I keep interrupting him, but he's on a roll. He's like, don't be afraid. You're going to have a baby. You're going to name him Jesus. And he will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him a throne over his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have have no end. Like, like, like Gabriel, why is Gabriel so excited? Well, because Gabriel, the angels don't really know how this whole plan unfolds. They don't get grace. There's no redemption for the third of the angels that fall. And so they're sitting there. It, it, Peter says it this way. We are teaching angels. The angels long to look at our lives. Do you know why? Because in your life and in my life, they see something that they will never see in their own lives. And that is the grace of God being lived out. Because they're sitting there going, they're sitting there going, hey God, why do you keep hanging with these people? And he keeps saying, because this is who I am. And, and Gabriel has been waiting eons, like literally millennia, to send this story because he knows what the prophets have prophesied. He doesn't know exactly how it's all going to play out. And you have this picture, we've read little um, narratives of this at Christmas Eve at different times, of, Gabriel, of God calling Gabriel to the throne room. And Gabriel's like, okay. And God says, okay, now's the time, Gabriel. Go send the message. The Savior is coming. You get to go tell the world. And he's pumped. Like, he's, he is totally jacked that finally God's plan is, is moving forward after 400 years of doing warfare in the darkness with, it, with the demons that are fighting God. He's going, the light is coming. And he is jacked. He is pumped. He is ready. And, and oh, by the way, he is talking about the king. Verse 33, his kingdom will have no end. Implied in that is that there is a king 
And his name is Jesus. And guys, if we're going to take literally verse 31, that you're going to have a baby, and if you're sitting here today and you're a Christian and you're celebrating Christmas the way Christians are supposed to, you're probably taking verse 31 literally. If you're not, meaning the baby came, his name is Jesus, if you're not taking that literally, then, I would, then you and I need to talk after church today. Because there's some serious salvific things going on in your heart. If you don't believe that Jesus really came here, really came as a baby, really lived that life, Let's talk. Not judgmentally. I mean, I, I want to hear your story. And I want to tell you mine. And most of all, I want to tell you his. But guys, understand, if we're going to take verse 31 literally, like I think most Christians have no problem doing, then we need to take verse 33 literally. That he is the king. Yeah. And that his kingdom will never end. And on, the, on his kingdom, there is no end to peace. Why is it so hard for us as Christians to celebrate the baby born in a manger because we have our nativity scene in our house and we can't celebrate the king of glory who's in control of all things? Guys, they're directly connected. Let Christmas remind you that they're directly connected. That one is the overflow of the other. Then he says, and Mary... Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, uh, can we go back a minute? <laughs> um, how's this going to be? Because I'm a virgin. I've never been with a man. She knows how babies are made. She's like, uh, I'm going to have a what? I'm going to have a how? Like, she's a little freaked out. Her, like, like, we talked about Joseph's whole world exploding. Well, this little girl, like, her entire world is, from her perspective, crumbling down around her and he's all kinds of jacked and all kinds of excited and and because this is the message he's been waiting to share for over for for years and for thousands of years and she just wants to go back she's not doubting him she's asking a technical question technically gabriel how exactly is this going to happen to me because i've never been with a man and he says this no 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 young ladies in the room would this satisfy you? Well, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you, and you're going to be with the child, and you're going to call him the Son of God. Okay, thanks for that. I'll see you later. Like, would that satisfy you? Fathers in the room with daughters. What, if, I'm, three daughters, you all know. I have three daughters. If one of them came up to me and said, Dad, the Holy Spirit overshadowed me. I'd be like, well, he didn't tell me that, so we need to talk. <laughs> right? It's just like, that, that's... But, but here's what's remarkable about Mary. She just believes it. Why? Because God said it. Right? Like, that's the reality. Like, like he, she just, look at, it says, and, and he goes, his, his, as if to help her feel better about it, he says, and even your, your, even your relative Elizabeth, who's old in age, beyond being able to conceive, has a son, and she's already six months, she's already six months pregnant, because nothing is impossible with God. And we'll come back to verse 37 in a minute. But guys, I, don't, I would be remiss if I didn't at least stop and, and say this, this scene right here about the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary, as, as sort of funny and, and like mind-blowing as that is, it's also incredibly important um, to our theology. 
Because without that scene, without the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary and overshadowing her, in other words, impregnating her, then we do not have the incarnation. We do not have the fully God, fully man. And if we don't have the fully God, Jesus is fully God and fully man, then he cannot be our Savior. Because if he's not man, he can't die for men. The man part of Jesus is Mary. The human part of Jesus is Mary. What he gets, what God, what she brings to the equation. But if he isn't fully God, then, he's all, then he cannot be sufficient. He's just a guy dying for other guys. And many people have died for other people. But only one who's died for other people has saved everyone who will believe in him. So it has to be that the Holy Spirit comes to make him fully God. It's a great mystery. It's, the, it's how, does he, how can something be fully man and fully God? It's the kenosis of Scripture, and it's the mystery that Paul talks about, and it's, it's just one of those things that, that we have to cling to because without it, our grace, our, our salvation um, is, is hinging on that reality. I also want to point out to you, though, something um, about this scene that, that when, when, she, when he says to her um, that, that oh, where is it? Um, And you will call, and therefore you, you have a child, and, you will, and he will be called the Son of God, right? It's it's that is not a New Testament. Um, that wasn't made up in the New Testament. The, one of the passages we've read quite a bit here is Isaiah um, is Isaiah chapter nine verse six. He says, um, "For a child will be born to us. A child. This is Isaiah writing seven hundred years before Christ came. A, the child is his humanity. A son." will be given. The Son is the only begotten Son of the Father. That's His deity. Isaiah is talking about the incarnation all the way back here. But also I want you to understand one more thing. That, that part of why so his, so you're going to call Him Jesus because He's going to save His people from their sins. Guys, understand that God sent us what we needed. Not necessarily what we want. And you say, wait a minute, I want a Savior. Yeah, it, once your eyes have been opened to that reality, then you want a Savior. But even after your eyes have been opened to that reality, sometimes we, we still think, but what I really, really want right now is something. Here's what I want. I want a strong political leader that's going to make America great again. That's what I want. What you need is a Savior. But no, but, but what I want is I want, um, I want a, a, a scientist that's going to fix global warming and he's going to um, help, he's going to stop any other viruses from coming and he's going to cure cancer. And if you're struggling with those things, those are, under, those are not bad things to want. But what you need is a savior. You don't need a scientist. Or how about, oh, you know what I, what, what we, what I want is somebody, a counselor, a discipler, a somebody who's going to help me feel better about who I am, about how I identify myself, about my, about my own um, self-worth. Guys, you don't need a counselor. You need a savior. Now, Jesus is all of those things. He is a great political leader. His kingdom will have no end. He is the mad scientist who spoke all of creation into existence. He's the one who built the earth. He knows if it's warming up or not. And, oh, by the way, he's also the wonderful counselor. So what we need is exactly what we needed is exactly what God sent us. Look at your second talking points question. It says, Mary had a plan. 
She thought she knew the direction of her life, her marriage, and her family was going to be heading. Just like every, like, you know, she's, she, because remember, at this point, right, like she's already betrothed to, to Joseph. So she's all, I mean, like every girl, whatever does, she's already probably planning her wedding ceremony. She's planning what her, I'm, I want to have this many kids and I want to do this and I want to do like, this is what, she was human, right? Now, all of a sudden, here comes Gabriel. We're like, oh, isn't that awesome? She's probably not so much because all of those plans have to be let go of now. It says, then God's message brings a drastic change of direction And now what? How has God's message asked you to surrender your will to him? Guys, what areas of our lives, of your life, of our lives as Christians, does God ask us to surrender to him? What's that? Everyone. Everything. Okay, give me some examples of things that maybe we, we, maybe not you, maybe, maybe it's me. But, but that we tend to struggle in our surrender. Our children. our children. What do you mean by that, Audra? They're not ours, they're given to us. Mm-hmm. Earth, so if you hear that, they're, they're, not, they're given to us to guide and direct for his glory, but they're not ours, they're his. And, and, and so I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute, but so, so children is one of the areas. Where else, where else do we struggle to surrender? Career. Career. Our career, like, like what, what, what's our plan for our life career-wise? Good, what else? Relationships. Relationships. Being able to let people go when they go or, or like, like to help, like just, you know, I, I think, I don't know if I've talked about it this setting or not, but, but one of the things I, I've t- I have to tell myself often as a pastor, but, but just even as a friend, is we have to, we're, we're called to love God and love people, and we also need to trust God with people, right? Like that's an important step that we often forget because we're controllers, all of us. We want to control the circumstance. We want to control the person. What else? Our sin. sin. What do you mean by that, Scott? So, so if we come, so if we come back to kids, career, I would say even like our finances. Are we? Are you know our finances, our relationships? Even our own sin struggles, the things that the things that maybe we were sick of, but not really quite sick of to go like that. Like all of surrender looks like this. This is Mary's posture at this point. Right? She is, she is, my whole world is going exactly 180 degrees the, the different direction that I had planned. And she's like, and she's and she's gonna do this. And we're gonna see that with our next point. Because this is where the sovereignty of God meets the reality of life. So look at verse 37 again. For nothing is impossible with God. I love how the um, American Standard Version in 1901, it said, it, it translated it this way. For no word of God shall be void of power. Guys, that's how we live in surrender, by trusting God and his word. Right? Do you remember? So I already quoted part of this passage in Isaiah chapter 9. It says, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it for ju- with justice and righteousness from this time forth forever. So this is, like, this is almost like Gabriel getting stirred up again, except it's Isaiah talking. But how does that happen? What's the verse right after that? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. 
Or the New Living translates it this way. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Right? That's the, so, so how is Mary able to do this? How are you and I able, able to live a life of real surrender? By believing that God is a God who makes and keeps promises. And that promise may not be for your present tense benefit, but it will be for your eternal glory. Guys, Mary's whole life turned upside down, and it was all for her good and for God's glory. And I promise you that Mary is in heaven right now not regretting a single thing she let go of. Right, like that's, and, and neither are any of the other disciples and the, and the myriad of faithful people who have come and gone throughout his, the church history. Guys, God always accomplishes his plan through his word. RJ read it as part of our calling passage in, Isaiah, or in Psalm 33. For God spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. In Isaiah 14, he talks about how the Lord of hosts has said, Surely as, as I have intended, so it has happened. Surely as I have planned, so it shall stand. There is nothing in your life. Guys, hear this. There is nothing in your life or mine that does not come to us, not first filtered through the Father. There's nothing the enemy can do to you. There's nothing the world can do to you. Now, now I know that begs a whole lot of questions when you're in the middle of the stink. When you're in the middle of the, hey, your whole life because of, this, because of what's going on is exactly what you don't want it to be. I understand all the why questions. Mary gets the why questions. Job gets the why questions. Even Paul got the why questions. What do you think he's begging Jesus three times for? Because he isn't satisfied with the answer. Until finally Jesus is like, but my grace is sufficient for you. It just is, Paul. So get over it. And get ready to go to glory. Because someday your glory is going to be great. Because the reality is that everything that happens here is for your good, for God's glory here on earth, and for your glory in eternity. Because this is all a dress rehearsal for what you're going to be doing forever. And as you enter into glory looking like Jesus, your glory will be more glorious. That's the whole point. So let's keep going. He says, for nothing is impossible with God. Mary, Mary said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. There it is. That, I mean, just that open-handed, amazing faith according to your word. And then it, and then it moves on, and we see, kind of, we see this outflow by what she does next. In those days, Mary rose and went to ha in haste to the country in the town of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. That was her aunt. And Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, and the baby leaped in her womb. The baby is, the, um, is John the Baptist, who's the one who prepares the way for Christ some 30 years later. And it says, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is where, this is where Jesus and John meet for the first time. They just happen to both be in the womb of their moms. And it says, And she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among, among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came into my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is he, is she, who believed that it would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. Again, the New Living says, verse 45, this way, you are blessed because you believed the Lord would do what he said. That's what made Mary exceptional. 
Guys, the decision changed everything about her life, but Mary understood something that was written in our scriptures before she had the blessing of the scriptures. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 10, verse 10, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, how does it say? Let's say perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Guys, that's what she knew that we have to hold on to. Look at your last talking points question. I'm not going to ask for input out loud, but I want you to just pause and think about this for a minute. Do you have faith enough to wondrously surrender your life to him and say as Mary did, may it be done to me according to your word? Do you have faith enough to wondrously surrender for your life to him and say as Mary did, may it be done to me according to your word. That's crazy faith, guys. That is. No matter what's going on in your life, are you able to say, but, but God's word says, and that will be enough for me. And it's hard. It is. You, you need, that is, that is a supernatural thing. And oh, by, I, by the way, here's what's really interesting. In this moment, in Mary's life, she becomes the Holy of Holies. Remember what was destroyed? The temple was destroyed. Where did, where did God dwell in the tabernacle in the temple? In the Holy of Holies. And after he leaves the tabernacle in the temple, he does not dwell on the earth again until this moment. Somehow, I don't know if Gabriel carried the blessing or if God just put it in there, but, but at this point, the dwelling, the dwelling place of God is in a teenage, a teenage peasant in the middle of a nowhere place who has no clue what's going to happen. And she says, I'm just going to trust him. But that was a supernatural act because she had the Holy Spirit because he was in her. Now you have the Holy Spirit too because he is in you. Because if you are in Christ, guess what you are? The Holy of Holies. So the only way we can have this kind of faith, may it be done to me according to your word, is when, we, is when we rely on the spirit of the living God. It's also why we need each other. Because sometimes your faith weakens. Mine does too. And you need a brother or sister in Christ or brothers and sisters in Christ to just come alongside you and go, it's going to be okay. He will fulfill his promises because that's who he is. So we're asking the question, what, is it, what, is, what does the wonder of God lead us into? And this last point goes quickly. Seeing his sovereignty, so he makes and keeps promises. Living in surrender, that we need to live our lives. Mary, Mary began to live her life for something so much bigger than she thought, that she ever even could have dreamed of. Are you willing to live your life for something bigger? Well, in order to do that, you have to let go of your life. Like that's by definition, you have to let go of your life. Guys, as one of the last things I pray before we come up here as the doxology is being sung is I pray, not me, not even Christ in me, but Christ alone. Because that's what we're going to hear Mary sing in this last point. Not me, in her, in her situation, not even Christ in me, Christ alone. Look at what she says. In this last point, a soul singing song. It's called the Magnificat. It comes from the Latin of the first verse of it, which is verse 46. And it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies 
the Lord. It means, it, it just, the Magnificat is just a way of saying magnify God. Because in, this, in these next few verses, she is going to use the phrase, He has, God has, eight times. In her mind, this is not about her at all. She is the most privileged human on the planet at this point in human history. And all she can think about is God. That's crazy. Because it isn't about her. She doesn't start with I statements. Man, I sure am you know, doing wonderful things because I'm submitting my life to, to the Lord. Or look at how God has used me to, to, to project his... like Throughout her life, as, her, as she's watching her son die on a cross, she's not going, I did that. I, I gave birth to him. You know what she's saying is? My sin put him on that cross. He says, or she says, she sings, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in the God of my Savior, the God, my God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all the generations will call me blessed. Why? Where does that blessing come from? Because of him. Because he is mighty. And he has done great things for me. He, holy is his name. And his mercy is for all those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud, the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the humble state, the, the, humble, the humble to, I'm sorry. And he has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel the remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to the offspring forever. And Mary reminded, remained with her for about three months and returned home. Guys, does your soul sing like that? Is that your response to the good news of the gospel? Right? The, the only reason our soul should be set singing is the greatest reason in the world, and that is that God saves sinners. If you're saved, your soul, your soul has the ability to sing, and we should be singing all the time. Because I'll be honest, too often my soul is not in a singing mood. But why? Why is my soul not in a singing mood? Because my eyes are fixed on the wrong things. I'm frustrated about my circumstances. I'm fearful for the future. I'm feeling like I'm being mistreated or put down. All, guys, I, I, I am so convicted by this teenage girl because she's so much stronger. She's so much better. She's, she's a better man than I'll ever be. Because she has everything to complain about. And her soul sings. That is remarkable. I mean, in every sense of the word remarkable, it is remarkable. So why should we sing? We're going to go into our time of response, and we're going to do communion as couples here in a few minutes. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to invite you at that point to just get up and go and be prayed, with, uh, prayed over with the couples. And if you have specific things to pray about, Please let us know. Um, if you just want to enjoy the, the, the sweet time of communion, let us know that as well. But guys, but, but get this. Let, let even this season, let this sweet girl, let this, this message of Christmas like just burn into your soul and set it to singing. Because, because as a follower of Christ, guys, understand Romans 5. 
when it talks about how we have peace with God, he says, this is God's love for you. This is God's love for you guys. Romans 5.8, that when while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. That's what communion celebrates. That's what love looks like. Guys, the Christmas story is the greatest love story in the history of the world. It is like a great exclamation point on the arch of the, the, arc, the um, arc of Scripture from beginning to end. That just It's God crying out, I love you. I've proved it. Why else would I come? Surely not for you people, because, not, not, because, not because you people have deserved it. He's like, I'm doing it because I love you. It's the best known passage in Scripture, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever would believe in him would never perish but have eternal life. Because God, Jesus didn't come here as a baby to judge the world, but that the world would be saved through him. That's the gospel message. That's what should set your soul singing if you're his, regardless of the circumstances of your life. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you, Lord, for um, the beauty of your message, that we don't need to doubt your love because it, it's why you came. The, the story of redemption and, and restoration is the story of your love for your creation and specifically the pinnacle of your creation, people, sons and daughters, image bearers of the Almighty. So Lord, I do pray that you would remind us that, um, that as we take communion together now, that, that, that we would celebrate the fact that, that we do not, we never, ever, ever need to doubt your love for us. Because while we were yet sinners, you died for us. In fact, it gets better than that. Before the rebellion happened, the story we just read about was already planned. That you knew we you knew and know we're gonna rebel, and you knew what it was gonna take to redeem us. So Lord, I pray for those that don't yet know that redemption story in their own lives. Maybe they know the story, like out there, but that story has never come into them. I do pray for the salvation of their souls and that when that salvation comes, that, that they would not be able to stop singing. That they would tell somebody today for the first time ever, I see the goodness of God. They would come and talk to me, one of the leaders, the person they're sitting next to, the person that brought them. Say, I see my need. That God sent us, you sent us exactly what we needed. And they shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.